Good morning. That's what I'm talking about, Justin. Always representing. My name's John, one of the pastors here. Excited to have you with us here at Greenhouse in South Florida. We kicked off last week a brand new series. How many of you were here for Family Fun Day? How many of you enjoy that time? Kona Ice for the win. We kicked off this new series called The Movement. Everybody say The Movement. Now, we began a series in the book of Acts a couple months ago, and we're jumping back into the series. And as we talk the movement, we're sort of answering this question, what would it look like if the book of Acts awakening, this incredible movement of God, happened not just in the chronicles of true human history, but what if it happened in modern day in your real life? How many of you think that would be pretty cool? How many of you were like, yes, amen, I'm up for that. What would it look like to see Book of Acts Awakening in the real world, in your real life, as God by his spirit, which is what we see in Acts 6, 7, 8, and beyond, uses ordinary people, supernaturally empowered by his spirit, to change the world? Here at Greenhouse, part of our, our mission is to help ordinary people like you and I become passionate followers of Jesus. And we see that all throughout the book of Acts. Last week, we kicked off the series and, and sort of the core thought was God's kingdom is advancing and you can't stop it, but you can what? But you can miss it. And our prayer is that we as a church family watching online over there in Guyana, that we would not be those who miss it, that when God moves and prompts us by his spirit, we would say yes. This week, I want to examine what it looks like when people say yes to God. Are you ready for this? Stand your feet as we get ready to read and honor God's word in the room, online, watching in Guyana, wherever you're at. We are going to be in Acts chapter 6, if you want to flip there. Acts chapter 6 will begin at the very beginning, verse 1. I normally talk about sports here in my opening segment because I'm a sports guy, but South Florida sports fans don't have much to talk about right now. The Miami Heat were defeated. Everybody say, oh. The Florida Panthers were defeated. Everybody say, bummer. And our South Florida sports hopes and dreams now rest firmly in the hands of God help us, the Miami Dolphins. There's the Marlins, though for all seven of us that like baseball. So I don't know if that helps anymore, but now we're gonna go to God. He is our hope and our source of strength, amen? If you're ready, say, let's do this. All right, here we go. Chapter six, in those days, everybody say those days. What days? Those days when the number of disciples was increasing. Now God's kingdom is moving, it's advancing, and there's drama. The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews. I'll unpack what exactly is happening here. But they complained because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, instead, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the entire group. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip and Procurus and Nicanor and Timon and Pumba and Par no, I'm just playing. And Parmenas. You're like, is that the Bible? Nope. Parmenas and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Check this. Verse 7. So the word of God, what does it say? Spread. Drama 
factions, division, racial tensions, and prejudice. And the ending of the story is the word of God. Oh, there's something here for us this morning. The word of God spread. And the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And even a large number of the priests, the most opposed group to this entire Jesus movement, became obedient to the faith. Would you pray with me? Jesus, help. Amen. Turn to your neighbor, give him a high five, a fist bump, an elbow tap, a hug, whatever you do. You can find your seats, and I want to talk with us for the next 27 or so moments we have together. Have you ever met someone who was just absolutely selfless? Anybody ever met someone like that? Anybody married to someone like that? Husbands, wives, this is your chance to be like, of course, of course. You ever met someone? There you go, Paul. That's what I'm talking about. You ever met somebody just selfless? My wife, Nancy, and I, we have two kids. I'm from a Jewish background. My wife is Puerto Rican, so we got two little Jew Rican babies. Our oldest, Liam, is five. At this point, he's sort of like a, a mythical folk, folklore here around Greenhouse. Tell lots of stories about Liam, all true. But our youngest, Lucia, is a shining star herself. Lucy is sugar sweet. She's about to turn three three years old, which blows my mind. It's incredible. And, and, and this girl is just, I mean, she is a giver. I don't know if I've ever met a kid so giving in nature at such a young age than our little Lucy. I remember just this past week, uh, our kids were eating chocolate chip cookies. Now, I'm not sure if you've experienced this, but this might be worth your price of admission right here. Tate's chocolate chip cookies. Anybody ever tried the wonder that is Tate's chocolate chip cookies? Oh, y'all need, y'all are missing out. Y'all need to taste and see that the Tate's is good. On your way home, stop at the grocery store, grab some Tate's chocolate chip cookies. You will not be disappointed. Our son is gluten-free, and so Tate's has a gluten-free chocolate chip cookie that is delicious. And so my kids both had chocolate chip cookies. My wife both had a, had a chocolate chip cookie, and I did not have a chocolate chip cookie. And so I said, hey, kids, can you go grab me a cookie? Now, I had two kids who heard it, and they both did very different things. My son runs away to go and grab another cookie to give me, while my daughter, Lucia, runs towards me to give me hers. Everybody say, aww. Now, I had a big bite out of it, so I was like, no, I want a whole cookie. Thank you very much. But it, it just epitomized the gut reaction of my two children. Little Lucy, she's just a giver. She just gives, I mean, she's all, she gives compliments. I like your dress, mama. I like your shirt, dad. Wow, you look pretty. I mean, she just, this girl just gives. It's in her very nature. Now, maybe some of us are like that, like sweet little Lucy. You're like, that's great for her. But for the rest of us mere mortals, what are we gonna do, right? How many of you are like, that's really sweet. I want my own chocolate chip cookie. Thank you very much, all right? Just me? No, nobody else? Okay, thank you very much. I appreciate three of you that are honest. Um, th that's great for Lucy, but what do the rest of us do when Jesus says things like, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to do what? But to serve. Jesus said, here's my mission. I'm the king of all. I am God incarnate, and I am coming down from the cosmos not to be served, but to serve, which means if we want to be disciples, Talmudim, disciples of Jesus, it means we follow the way of Jesus. So if Jesus said his mission was to serve, what is our mission? But we live in a world that says that's crazy talk. Like, think about it right now. We live in a world that is obsessed with, I mean, we are in the self-serve era. 
We like self-serve setups. We like self-serve kiosks. Everything in our modern world, everything in modernity is designed as much as possible for hyper customization so it can be all about who? You. That's the world that we live in. Our world is structured around this predisposition, this proclivity. It's for your comfort and your convenience and your enjoyment. And if we're going to make this thing profitable, it's got to be all about you, which we appreciate as a consumer. And yet, if left unexamined, it runs right into a dangerous vein of our fallen condition propensity. And if we leave it alone ultimately to our destruction. See, this is dangerous because ever since the garden, ever since Adam and Eve and their interaction with the serpent, the temptation of humanity has been to serve you and the people just like you. And we see this pop up right here in Acts chapter six. We've got this disagreement between, at this point, the followers of Jesus are basically exclusively from Jewish backgrounds. I get people asking me all the time. They're like, wait, wait, wait. So you're Jewish? I'm like, yes. They're like, but you follow Jesus? I'm like, yes. And they're like, I don't know. I'm like, think of it like the original recipe. Like that's, that's kind of how it all started, right? And so you've got these two different cultural segments of Jewish background followers of Jesus and they have drama and they have issues and they have problems and it is legitimate. Biblical scholars say we don't know exactly what's happening, but it seems like there's something enough that there is a problem that needs to be dealt with. And so they do what seems very light, right and logical in the moment. They complain. How many of you feel like sometimes you have the gift of complaining? You're like, I could just see all the problems so clear, right? All right, all you, all you pessimists, it's okay. Or as my wife says, realists, it's okay. You, you see the problems clearly. and you can, So they do what seems at first glance very logical and appropriate. There is a real issue. And so they bring it to the forefront. But I'm telling you this early awakening is at a crucial and dangerous crossroads. Here's why. Up to this point in our story, the people of God have a consistent trajectory. God starts moving, things start happening, and then they complain. They get brought out of Egypt. God's providing for them supernatural, holy manna from heaven. They're getting like holy drive through from the angels. It shows up at their doorstep. And what happens? After a few days of holy Uber Eats, they start to complain. They're going around and they're starting to go through and they're like, man, who is Moses and Aaron anyways? What do they think they can do? And they start to complain. They get brought out of Egypt and they're in slavery. And it only takes a few short months before they're like, man, we had it so good back in Egypt. And they complain. And over a day that should have, a trip that should have taken them 40 days takes them 40 years because of grumbling and complaining. If last week was God's kingdom is advancing and you can't stop it, but you can miss it, let me tell you the overwhelming trajectory of the people of God. God starts to move, people start to complain, and they miss it. And yet, here in Acts 6, God is moving. Problems are happening because we are people, right? If, you, if you're like, man, Pastor John, I'm just looking for the perfect church. Well, you have not found it. And if you found it, you couldn't join it anyways because you would mess it up. Because we're imperfect people, right? We've got, we've got things happening and, and, and there's issues and people complain. And if you would have been a, a Jewish follower of Jesus, if you would have been reading this in the ancient world, you would have been holding your breath like, oh no, because you know the story. 
This is when it all goes downhill. This is when the ship sinks. This is when it all falls apart. And yet, not only does it not fall apart, we read verse seven, God's kingdom actually advances even more. Do you see this? What should have stopped things ends up accelerating things. And I'm convinced it's not because of what they did in complaining, it's because of what they did next. I've titled this message, The Right Way to Complain. You're welcome. The right way to complain. Apparently, according to the scriptures, there is a right way and a wrong way to complain. One which it contributes to you missing God and one which brings, puts gasoline on the fire of his kingdom. Would you like to know what that is? One big idea, if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to jot it down. When God's people who are gifted to serve decide to serve, the movement keeps moving. When God's people who are gifted to serve, how many of you are gifted to serve? Every single one of you, you can put your hands up right now. Every single one of you to Andrea's point, I don't know about the boyfriend or girlfriend promise, but all the rest of it is true. If you are uniquely gifted by God and when God's people who are gifted to serve decide to serve, the movement keeps moving. So let's dive in Acts 6 and take a few lessons from these early disciples to see what it has to teach these modern disciples. Point number one, when things aren't right, you talk about it. When things aren't right, you talk about it. Turn to your neighbor and say, you got to talk about it. You got to talk about it. When things aren't right, you talk about it. Anybody here like to be honest and say you've been guilty of complaining before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we've all been there. Um, our oldest, Liam, just graduated kindergarten, by the way. Crazy, crazy. Blows my mind. Hence the grays. Um, he, he graduated kindergarten. And, uh, and so I was all excited. I'm from, like I said, a Jewish background. And so about his age, my dad started doing financial discipleship with me. It's the legacy of our people, right? And he, so he started doing allowance and, and he would do the 10, 10, 80 principle with money. And you give first to God and the tithe because it's all his anyways. And then you save next. And then you spend at the end. You're like, that's a good idea. Go ahead and take that and run with it, right? 10, 10, 80, give, save, spend. And, and, and so I said, babe, I think it's time. And she's like, no, I don't know. I, I feel like he's too young. And I'm like, I'm telling you, I think it's good. And we went back and forth and we're, we, we were one of the few three, three times in life that where she's like, yeah, you know, let's go with your idea. I'm like, yes, sweet. So I told Liam, I was all excited about this. And I'm like, hey, bud, when you graduate kindergarten, I'm going to start to give you what's called an allowance. He's like, and he's kind of looking at me and I'm like, and you're going to get this allowance. And then you're going to get to like save some of it and spend some of it. And he, he's looking at me and I'm not, he has this kind of look in his eyes. And finally he's like, Oh no, son, what? He's like, that, does that mean I'm gonna have to pay taxes and wear a tie? I kid you not, this was his response. Does that mean I'm gonna have to wear tax, pay taxes and wear a tie and take a briefcase? I was like, what? And I laughed and then he was like, no, really? I was like, no, 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 that doesn't. Actually, I was like, yes, that's exactly what it means. You're gonna have to start paying taxes right now. Yes, you pay them to dad. Um, until you're 18, you pay taxes to dad. So if, you, if my son asks, all children have to pay taxes, okay? Amen, just keep that going. But it was this bizarre, I'm trying to give this boy money and he's complaining about taxes, which actually is quite ahead of his time if you're really thinking about it, because uh, there we go. Act six is an interesting story because what we find here is complaining, 
Verse one, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now this is crucial. Up to this point in the awakening, as we talked about in the first series, the, the, the sort of overarching descriptor of the people of God is unity. Over and over, we find that they are in one accord, that they were all together in one place of one heart. Acts 2, they're in one accord. At the end of Acts, they're giving things, they're selling things, they're looking out for needs, they're unified, they're in one accord. And the outside, waiting and watching world, is looking at these early followers of Jesus who are deeply and supernaturally united, and it's amazing, and it's incredible. And all of a sudden, the track record that has got them here is beginning to break down. And they're no longer in one accord. And they're no longer all hunky-dory and everything's perfect. This is book of Acts in real life. They're growing. To put quite simply, you got more people. And to Notorious B.I.G.'s point, it's not just more money, more problems. It's more people, more problems. And they've got issues and they've got drama. I, I don't know if you could quote Notorious in a sermon. So can we get that out of the archives? Anyways, y'all know what I'm saying. They, they got this thing growing. They got more people in the mix and they've got drama. And their very testimony is now at risk. This is a big deal. And here's why this matters. Because... If there is not kingdom serving, if there is not a heart posture of kingdom serving, of love for God and one another, there will be earth complaining and earth complaining always steps in to cause us to miss the move of God. When there's not kingdom serving, there will be earth complaining. Now, let me break down the context of what's happening here. Up to this point, there are two different sort of groups of Jewish followers of Jesus. There are the Hebraic Jews that would have been in and stayed in and lived in Jerusalem. They would be following the Jewish traditions and customs. And then there would have been what we see here is the Hellenistic Jews. Now, these would have been Jewish people that are living in the diaspora, meaning they're living all throughout the known world, which was largely a Greek world. Now, most of these Hellenist Jews, they would change their name. They would essentially culturally assimilate in an effort to fit in. They would have Greek names. They would adopt Greek customs. They would begin to eat Greek cuisine. There's the word. They often would no longer keep kosher. They would sort of, in a pressure to assimilate, they would lose a lot of the commands and the precepts of God. Now, we don't know exactly what's going on here, but Bible scholars guesstimate the Jewish tradition or custom would have been that while a husband and, earth, a husband and wife were both alive on earth, the husband would sort of pay into a fund. This would be like, a, like your, your welfare fund so that when he passed, if he had a widow still living, the fund that he invested in while he was alive would then pay for his widow to continue to live as she moved along. It's kind of an ingenious idea here. It's you know, social security in the ancient world, I guess. And so this is what's happening. Now, the thought would be that while the Hebraic Jews were doing this because they had kept that custom, the Hellenistic Jews who had left a lot of the customs of the people of God and the Jewish customs were maybe not paying into this fund. And so now they come and meet Jesus and they're like, sweet, y'all have a system? This is awesome. And they're kind of like, well, I mean, you didn't pay nothing into the system. And there's this real problem that they, that they find themselves in. Now, we don't know exactly to what degree the Hellenistic widows were being neglected, but th there seems to be some legitimacy to it. There was a real problem. Now, check this. There was a real problem. So look what they do. 
instead of talking about the problem behind people's backs, which we are professionals at in our culture, instead of getting, instead of like, no, no, we're good, we're good. Okay, God bless you, sister. And then you jump on your keyboard warrior and you're like, let's go. And your, your, your little Twitter fingers start going and you're like trigger fingers. And why do I keep referencing hip hop? All right. You're there and you start doing all these things and all of a sudden you're talking so boldly behind people's backs. They don't talk behind their backs. They bring the issues out into the open. Point number one, when things aren't right, you talk about it. Now that happens sometimes in good, godly, and appropriate ways. This is what I'm convinced is the linchpin of transformation, and I'm praying you take notes on this one and pay attention. Point number one, when things aren't right, talk about it. Point number two, after you talk about it, lean in to help fix it. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's important. After you talk about it, lean in to help fix it. What happens in this passage, I'm telling you, it is absolutely profound. If this happened in our businesses, if this happened in our workplace, if this happened in our families with our children, if this happened in your microchurch, if this happened in our church, it would be a sign and a wonder. It would be absolutely supernatural. Any small business leaders or small business owners, pay attention. Anybody who manages people, pay attention. This is huge. They come and complain, verse one, verse two. Then the 12 gathered, these are the apostles. These are the ones that have been delegated by Jesus to help pioneer, lead, serve, steward this kingdom movement. The 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, therefore choose seven men from among you full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We'll turn the responsibility over to them and give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This is not about being above certain tasks. This is about calling. These 12 were given this commission by Jesus. He said, you're going to go into all the world and you're going to preach the gospel. The 12 were called to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And so they're, they're presented with this problem and they're like, okay, you know, and what they do first, this is important, is they do not dismiss the problem. They do not bury their head in the sands and pretend the problem isn't real. They listen to the problem. We see that they actually take action on the problem being brought to them, but, before, but they listen to this problem and then they filter it through personal calling. They're like, wait a second, there's a legitimate problem here. We need to do something with this. We need to deal with this. But our call from Jesus, our CEO, our call is to preach the word and focus on the scriptures. So we've got our call. We have to stay faithful to that. But we also have a problem, and that's very real. So if we're going to stay faithful to our call but deal with the real problem, we need to delegate this to other capable people. It's good leadership. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit has filled them and he gives them wisdom. That's another way of the scripture of the spirit, spirit of wisdom. He gives them wisdom to deal with this in an appropriate way. They listen, they decide, and they delegate. Now look at verse five. This proposal pleased the whole group, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. The leaders, the apostles, they say, hey, listen, we hear you. We're going to have to deal with this. This is a legitimate problem. We're not going to push it down the line. We're not going to bury it under the rug. We're going to deal with this issue. So they delegate it out and they say, hey, we hear you. What do you all want to do about this? And the community listen, and then they act. If I had a dollar for every time someone asked me the question, Pastor John, what is the church doing about? 
I would give a lot of money to missions, y'all. I would be a very wealthy man. My response is typically here in, in the Bible, the philosophy of church is this. The church is not a building. The church is not the official compensated members who are doing occupational ministry. The church is the people of God gathered. So when someone comes to me and they say, Pastor John, what is the church doing about them? Oh, that's a great, I put my arm around them. I was like, that's such a good question. What is the church doing about? Because it's us, right? It's we. Here's what's beautiful about what we see here in Acts chapter six. The people complain and then the apostles turn the complaint back around to the very people that are complaining and the people who are complaining turn around to become a part of the solution. This is different. All of these names that I just read to you that they appointed, these, this is, by the way, is where in church history we have the idea of deacons. This idea here is, deaconos is the Greek. It's this idea of serving. They're going to be serving tables. This is the implementation of the first deacons in this early movement of followers of Jesus. Every single one of these names is a Greek name. Bible scholars say we don't know for sure, but most likely the vast majority, if not every single one of these are from the, they are Hellenistic Jews. Now check this, who complained about the problem? The Hellenistic Jews. Who stepped up to be a part of the solution? The Hellenistic Jews. It would be like at your workplace if you went to your boss and you're like, listen, I, I just got to let you know there is an issue here within the organization. Things have become super toxic. I don't know if you realize it, but, and you're going on your mic drop moment and you're like, da, 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 and you lay it all out and you know you're right and it's true. And then you, at the very end, you say, so that's the issue. Let me know what I can do to be part of the solution. Your boss would probably pass out. <laughs> they might faint or levitate or both because that's not what we do. And yet this is exactly what the disciples do here. They have this moment, they bring up an issue, they talk about it, and then after sharing it, they lean in to help fix it. I've watched this happen in our, in our own church family and it's thrilled my soul. We got a, a member of the worship team, he was playing drums today, his name is Tijo, and, and I love Tijo. He's been with us since the very beginning, since pre-church plant days. He was up here with Jamie doing their little Shane and Shane rendition at the very beginning on a cajon, and, and Tijo, I mean, he's a good guy, he's a sharp leader, and, and I was talking with Zach and Kayla, our worship directors, a little while ago, and, and Tijo had some thoughts and ideas, things that he wanted to see happening in the worship team, and ways that it could tweak and, and change. And Zach came to me and said, man, it's been such a joy because Tidja was like, hey man, I see these things. I, I want some things to, I, I, I see where we could be. What can I do to help? You want to talk about applications sprinkled right in the middle of the sermon? The next time you see a problem in your family, the next time you see a problem at your job, the next time you see a problem in your microchurch, the next time you see a problem in your workplace, the next time you see a problem in your church family, because you'll see one, and sometimes it'll be some of your fault if we're being honest, the next time you see a problem, add this to your ending conversation. What can I do to help? Whoo. It's a little phrase that lets the kingdom enter in. It's what these disciples do. They've got a legitimate problem. This is the moral of the story. Oftentimes, we have people within our church family, you might be at your job and you see something there and it's legitimate and you're right and you're accurate. Oftentimes, my experience has been if the Holy Spirit allows you to see something that's lacking and there's lots of things lacking in your workplace, if you see something that's lacking in your home, in your microchurch, it's because God actually is moving on your heart by his spirit to be a part of the 
solution. And the way these disciples complain is all about heart motivation here. One heart motivation that we see throughout the trajectory of the people of God is, hey, listen, you you need to fix this. Drop the mic and walk away. Who is that all about? Self. Here's another heart motivation. Hey, listen, this is a legitimate problem. This is an injustice. This is a result of prejudice. And so I think this needs to be addressed. The apostles say, great, can you help us address it? And the people say, yes. Here's my takeaway right here in the middle of the sermon or close to end because I'm gonna go long today. When the spirit prompts your heart, the fundamental difference between the trajectory of God's people and what we see here in Acts 6 is if you're seeing something and the Holy Spirit prompts you to say something about it, be willing to lean in to the promptings of God to be a part of the solution and just say, yes, yes. At your job, with your family, at our church, in your microchurch, when God prompts your heart, say yes. Because when God's people who are gifted to serve decide to serve, the movement keeps moving. Point number one, when things aren't right, talk about it. Point number two, when you talk about it, lean in to help fix it. And finally, point number three, be in community so that you can be known and activated. Everybody say activated. Be in community so you can be known and activated. Look at verse three. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known. Everybody say known. Known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. Who are known, other versions say, to be of good repute. This is an idea of reputation. This is where we get ultimately in Timothy, Paul saying, hey, listen, don't lay hands on people hastily, but let them first be tested and then they can serve. In community, it's where you discover your gifts. Community, it exposes your gifts and it develops your reputation. In our microchurch, we have a guy named Angel that I just love. Angel, I mean, it took a few weeks to realize Angel is a Bible guy. Any Bible people out there, like this joker lives, breathes, eats, sleeps. I'm pretty sure he dreams in Bible verses in King James. Like he is a Bible guy and it's beautiful. And pretty early within our microchurch, our microchurch is all laughing because they know it. Like it, we just realized we're like, man, Angel, anytime he gets a chance to facilitate discussion in microchurch, he lights up and comes alive. He he sends out Bible texts to a whole bunch of people because it's just a passion on his heart. Angel's gift is with God's word. And when he uses that gift, people flourish and angel comes alive. It's the beauty of the kingdom of God. When God's people who are gifted to serve decide to serve, the movement keeps moving, but it's not just that God gets glory and he does. It's not even just that people are blessed and they are and encouraged and comforted. But when you step out to serve and follow in the path of Jesus, you actually come alive as well. It's in community that you develop your giftings and learn to bless and serve others. And when you do, you come alive. Which leads us to the point of application. What's your gift? The apostles realized, wait a second, there's a real problem here, but, but our gift, our call is to go in this direction, but we have, to, we have to deal with this. And so there had to be other people that were gifted and called uniquely to deal with that. What is your gift? What is your call? Use it right now to serve one another. First Peter says it like this, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another 
as good stewards of God's varied grace. Let me make this real tangible. If you are not yet in community, if you are not yet in a microchurch, join a microchurch. You got a few more weeks until they take a break. You can at least jump in there, establish that and say, okay, good, I did it. And I'm gonna come back when they come back from break. Go to breakthrough, get around people, get involved in a serve team. By the way, if you've been waiting around in case you didn't catch it from Andrea, over the summer months, especially as college students go, if you're not yet on a serve team, please, please, please jump in. We could really use you. You don't have to be perfect to be able to serve. You don't have to have it all together. You're like, can you smile? We could use you. Can you lift heavy stuff? We could use you. Can you play an instrument? We could use you. Are you a breathing human being? We could use you, all right? And it's not just, A, we need the help, but B, you start plugging in and serving, and all of a sudden, you, 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 can't, you can't explain it. You come alive. You get to meet some people. It goes from this church that I go to on Sundays to, to my church, our church, and all of a sudden, you feel like a part of the family. Let me just call you to it. If you are not yet plugged in and connected, plug in. Get in the mix and let people see you. Be in community so that you can be known and activated because when God's people who are gifted to serve decide to serve, the movement happens. When people discover their gifts and, and they use them to bless and serve others, incredible things happen. Disciples are made and people come alive and the word is spread and families are made whole. I mean, look at the end of this verse. The word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of even priests became obedient to the faith. Incredible and amazing things happen. And I've seen examples of this all throughout our church family. I'm thinking of Ryan and Julie Strasser. Julie's within the medical field and Ryan is, is within mental health and, and they got a chance to go on a trip to Guyana. Some of the Guyana crew knows them well and, and, and all of a sudden, the gifts and the unique passions that God's given them perfectly fit into the context there in Guyana. And at this point, they're, they're working with the medical students there doing counseling and mental health programs and, and they're working with the police force and the nation of Guyana. They're doing all this incredible stuff. And it's like, wow, this is amazing when God's people who are gifted to serve decide to serve. The movement happens. I think about Zach and Kayla and Jamie, our, our former worship leader had been with us since he was a high school kid. And then God called him and it was like sending off a kid to college with joy and tears. We're like, go oh, Jamie. And he's up in Palm Beach thriving. You're like, praise God for him. What the heck are we gonna do? And then Zach and Kayla, who I've known for forever. Zach's one of my best friends. Kayla and I led worship in college. They, they said, hey, we, we feel like God's nudging us to serve. We feel like this is our moment. We feel like we're supposed to step in and help with this. And if you were here a few weeks ago, I mean, God has moved in an incredible way. We had a, an entire service of people lined up here as God's moving by his spirit. And it's not about a person. It's not because of Zach and Kayla, but it's because when God's people who are gifted to serve decide to serve, God does his thing. I think about Jack, one of the guys in our microchurch that I just love. And over the course of the past year, I mean, God has done incredible things in his life and heart. And where there was sadness, there's come this deep reservoir of joy. And in one of the most challenging seasons of my life, I know I'm a pastor. I'm just a person. My wife and I lead a microchurch. He's in our microchurch. As my mom's going through cancer and I'm dealing with these, fighting off these battling thoughts of my, di my dad died two and a half years ago. I don't want to lose another parent right now. And God uses Jack to be this deep source of encouragement and comfort to me as Jesus works in his heart. Why? Because it's not about the person. It's about when God's people who are gifted to serve decide to serve. The movement happens. I don't care how ordinary you feel. I don't care how insignificant someone might have told you you are. There are no insignificant people on this planet because 
because all you need is a willing heart and a yes on your mouth and God can use you in supernatural ways to change the world. It's true. It's true, I'm telling you. It's what we see here in Acts chapter six. This thing looks like it's about to derail and everything is gonna fall apart and all it took was some Hellenistic Jews who said, we see a problem and we're available to be part of the solution and all of a sudden the kingdom doesn't stop moving, it accelerates. What if we were a church like that? What if we were a church where when we saw, and Zach, you can start playing, when we saw issues and when we saw problems and when we, imagine if you were a family like that where your teenager comes to you and they're like, you know, mom and dad, I've noticed we've got these issues in our family. How can I help be a part of the solution? You're like, that might be the rapture. I think Jesus just came back, right? Guess how they're gonna learn that? They're gonna have examples that live it. They're gonna have examples that live it. I wanna be that type of person. I wanna be that type of father. I wanna be that type of leader. You're like, John, how in the world would we even move in that direction? I'm gonna close with this story and then I want us to respond in worship. We've got a member of our church family named Latoya that I just love. Latoya, if you're watching, hello. Latoya's a doctor. She's not only a doctor, but she's relatively well-known to the extent that she also is a professor in the medical university system within the nation of Guyana. And, and Latoya is a disciple. She's a follower of Jesus. And sometime not too long ago, as Latoya was working with a group of students, she noticed that one student seemed to be having a challenge and their mental health seemed to be in a dangerous spot. And as she was leaning out just as a, as a good professor, but more than that, as a follower of Jesus who cares about people deeply, Latoya noticed that this student was not just in a rough spot. They were actually in a dangerous spot to their own life. And it got to the point where this student was suicidal. And so Latoya did whatever protocols needed to be done for her official position, but she basically was like, I'm not just gonna sit around and wait and hope that this student is okay. I'm gonna go out. And so Latoya gets up and goes out looking for the student. She starts doing her own little inspector gadget thing, figures out where exactly do they live and, and how can I get to the, and I mean, she's, she, she goes to try to find where the student is living, run, running around their neighborhood, gets lost in the process of it, looking like probably some sort of crazy person out there because she's like, I just gotta find the student to make sure that they're safe and okay. She finally gets in touch with the student. The student did not take their own life and God begins to move. And that story came to my mind this week because I know initially you're like, oh, that's so cool and inspirational, but Guyana's hot, y'all. And I'm thinking about dignified Dr. LaToya, Professor LaToya, out there running around in the streets, sweating, probably looking all sorts of crazy. I'm like, what would... Doesn't she realize, like she, she's losing all of her dignified status. Doesn't she realize that, that she, that is so, I mean, somebody else can do that job. That's the police or that's somebody else. What is she doing? And Latoya would say it's because 2000 years ago, when I was at the end of my rope, 
when my life seemed like it was about to be over, when I had lost all hope, when I was desperate, when I was in a tough, difficult, challenging, desperate spot, there was this king named Jesus. He was the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He was worthy of all worship and all dignity and all honor, and yet he left his place of power and position, and he came down into this crusty earth, and he came for me, and he sweated, and he bled, and he died. And if he came for me, then I'll go for him. And friends, at the end of the day, if you're like, Pastor John, this is not what our, I get it. Our culture disciples us to serve us. Our culture disciples us that we are worthy of service, that we are worthy of devotion, that we are worthy. And I'm not saying God already served you. He already loved you. He already blessed you. And now he invites you to join him in that mission. The son of man came not to be served, but to serve. And when we do that, friends, we come alive. I'm telling you, I know everything in our world tells us you come alive when you are served. It's not true. You're never more alive than when you're washing feet. And as I was preparing this week and and realizing that what these disciples do in Acts 6, I mean, let's just be clear, almost nobody does that. And when we look at how Jesus, who had the rightful place of honor, stepped down to serve and wash dirty feet, literally and metaphorically, nobody does that. Why? We do it for him because he did it for us. And at the end of the day, it's about the gospel. I get it. People are punks and they do not always deserve it. And and it's about remembering that when we were, were punks that did not deserve it, when we were lost and dying and desperate, Jesus came and he went looking. The son of man came to seek and to save the lost and he served and he found us and we get the privilege to do the same. Why don't you join me as we pray? I want to get, I want to give us a chance to respond. Jesus, even right now, I'm asking that you would stir up love in our hearts. Lord, I get how countercultural this is. I get how maybe even foolish this looks in the eyes of the world. And yet, Jesus, it is your way. It is your path. And it is your call. And we want to follow you. So I'm asking that right now, by your spirit, you would move in our hearts. That every single person, especially anyone who loves you and already follows you, would be moved to recommit to this path. First response is for those, and maybe you came in or you're watching online this morning, and you know you need to be found and rescued by Jesus. You relate to my final story. You feel like you're the one lost and broken at the end of your ropes. Maybe you are suicidal. Maybe you are hopeless. Maybe you are anxious. Maybe you are depressed. Maybe you are feeling like there's no way out here is great news for you, friends. Jesus is the same God back then that he is now. For so many of us in this room, our story is I once was lost. Now I'm found. I want to give you an opportunity to invite him in to let him serve you. Unmerited grace, forgiveness, right standing with God. It's only found in Jesus, wherever you're at right now. You say, Jesus, I need it. Right here in the room, right there online, say, Jesus, I'm listening. You have my attention and you can have my heart. 
Now, I felt like we were supposed to end in a very specific way this morning. And, and it's sort of a recommitment to the way of Jesus in this specific area. Maybe you're already living this, but you want to do it in deeper measure. Maybe you have drifted from this way and this path and you've fallen into more of a cultural idea of what it looks like to be rather than a discipleship idea. But if you're here this morning and you want to step in to serve others with great passion and commitment because of the way you have been loved by God, I want you to stand to your feet. And if you would like to recommit, I'd like you to come to the front here and just open your hands in a posture of submission to God. You can stand, you can kneel. If you, if you say, God, I wanna recommit to a life of service, I wanna invite you literally to come to the front. You don't have to, this is if you want to do that. You say, Jesus, you have my heart. And I just want us to stand. I had the, the, the picture in my head. This doesn't happen to me a ton, but I had a very specific picture in my head as I was prepping and preparing for this morning that God wants to activate us in a unique way. And if you're here and you wanna commit, I'm joining right with you. you. You're here and you wanna commit to the way of Jesus, which is the way of the, the servant, the servant king, the servant leader. I want you to open your hands as a posture of openness and humility. And just say it afresh, Jesus, I'm yours. Use me, send me, remind me of my call, commission me to go. I say like Isaiah, here I am, send me. I'm praying that even right now, God, by his spirit, would you begin to prompt your heart? That specific people would begin to come to mind, that specific things would begin to come to mind, that maybe even lost things that at one point burned clearly and brightly in your heart, but have since diminished and withered would begin to spark once again in passion. Lord, would you resurrect calling? Would you resurrect destiny? Would you make things clear? And would you call us to your way of flourishing? We do not ascend to greatness in your kingdom. We descend into greatness through serving. Jesus said the greatest among you would become a servant. If we want to see a great move of God, we have to become great people. And Jesus said great people are servants. Lord, we recommit. We do not think we are better than you. If you came, picked up a towel and served, we say yes and amen to that path and that way. God, use us all the people that need to be reached, all the people that need to be encouraged, all the people that need to experience your love and your grace and your mercy and your kindness. God, we say, yes, use us. We'll call out problems because they need to be called out and we'll call out toxic realities because they need to be called out. But Lord, we will lean in to be a part of the solution for your glory and people's flourishing. Now, in this posture of prayer, I actually want us to close out and culminate this time in prayer, singing this song back to God. Zach and Kayla, can you lead us?
sing it to him church recommit in our hearts in this moment Jesus, right now, we commit afresh. Lord, I'm trusting that by your spirit, some of us in this room, you've already prompted us to see needs that have yet been unmet and to see holes that need to be filled and to see problems that need to be addressed and to see changes that need to be made because there are. And Lord, I'm praying that we would do your work with your heart, the heart of a servant, the heart full of love, that motivated by a love for you and a love for people, we would step in and at the final point of conversation, when we're sharing all of the things that need to be changed, we would say, what can I do to help? Jesus, we wanna be like you. We wanna serve. Lord, I'm playing a a blessing over every single member of our church family that, that you would call us to service in our families, that you would call us to service in our workplaces and in our jobs, that you would call us to service in our micro churches, that you would call us to serve right here in our church family, that any space you place us in, the track record of your people would be the track record of our Messiah. We came not to be served, but to serve. Lord, if we're being honest, that's going to take your spirit. Thank you that you promised to pour it out. 